You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet on the podcast where we talk about everything. Today is September 30th, 2021. It is a Thursday. This is episode 155 of season three, 220 overall for the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. In particular, the phrase that starts off that selection, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. I've been really I guess drawn back to the epistles to Timothy here the past while. They've been on my mind quite a lot. And I think it's interesting to look at the Apostle Paul through the lens of his communication with an individual. So many of the epistles are written to churches, specific churches in specific places. But in Timothy and in Titus, you have Paul writing to individual disciples. In Timothy's case, you have two epistles from Paul in which he's trying to give counsel to this much younger disciple. And what's interesting here is even just in this verse here, let no one despise you for your youth. In some of the research I've done you know, a few months ago when I was trying to get ready for uh, preaching some sermons for this preaching and teaching class at church. The topic of how old Timothy was yields some interesting search results. When you try to do some research, see what other people think, see what is out there. Do we know for sure how old Timothy was when he was a pastor, when Paul was writing to him? There's some interesting results that come up, which actually I think give us an example of the attitude, the mindset of those who might despise Timothy for his youth. So one example is, and I don't have it up, but I'll, I'll just give you the breakdown. One example is this link I found very high up ranked in search results when I was trying to research this in which some, I imagine, curmudgeonly, very old-fashioned, wear a suit and tie to church every Sunday type Christian, was insisting that Paul must have been much older and that Timothy was not as young as people like to suppose. Timothy was not, you know, 16 to 20 when he first started joining Paul on his missionary journeys. He couldn't have been that young. That would have been irresponsible for Paul to have taken Timothy along at that age. I just, that, that wouldn't, no, that wouldn't happen. Because a lot of folks do suppose that Timothy was between 16 and 20. He was a young man when he became a Christian and when Paul first encountered him. And then several years down the line, when Timothy is trying to fulfill this calling and this mission of 
overseeing. Paul is writing to potentially a young man in his early 30s, maybe late 20s, maybe early 30s. Well, this curmudgeonly gentleman who had written the post I was reading in question, he just didn't like that. No, 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 no. You know, look at the qualifications in Timothy and Titus that Paul lays out. He must be able to manage his own household well. He must be the husband of one wife. You know, this is clearly talking about older Christians whose children have already grown up and you can see that, you know, they're going to be good eggs. The, you know, this, the only people who should be overseers are those who already have grown children and you can, you can be sure that they managed their own household well past tense. But, you know, that, that presumption is, I'm sorry to say, with all due respect to those who are older, that is self-serving. Once you get to a certain age and you start falling back on the fact that you are of a certain age, therefore everybody should just defer to you. If that's the best you can do as far as a compelling argument for how you're handling the truth, how you're relating to people and situations, you might need to go back to the drawing board. We should not presume that those who are older necessarily have more wisdom, maturity, godliness. And in fact, I want to read for you what it is that Paul writes to Timothy in this regard. Don't just take my word for it. Let's go to God's word for it. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And what I think could be, possibly, part of what is meant when Paul says this at the end of verse 16, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers, is that that is related to what starts off this little selection at the top of verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. So if people are trying to make up excuses to dismiss you because you're young and they're older and they have put their time in, they've got seniority and they expect to have everyone kowtow to them, even if some of what they're wanting and saying and acting like is not pure and it's not true. If you will set the believers an example in speech, so what you say, in conduct, in what you do, in love, well, that's your emotions, your convictions, your genuine caring for the people around you, in faith, so how it is that you are relating to what we have in the scriptures and what God has commanded. Are you believing in God? Are you trusting God? Are you putting yourself out there in obedience to all that Christ commanded, like the Great Commission says? Uh, 
in purity. So not compromising, not compromising on anything that God has spoken on. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. I'm going to be about my father's business. I'm going to follow Christ. If you, as a younger person, set the believers an example in all these ways, particularly if they are trying to dismiss you because of your age, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, they're feeling very, very tempted to look down on you, to dismiss you, to be egotistical, self-serving. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit like we talked about here a few episodes ago. That was, looks like September 25th, actually, to be more precise. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. They're feeling tempted to act out of selfish ambition. They're going to put themselves forward. They're going to elevate themselves at your expense by highlighting the fact that you're in your late 20s or early 30s. Meanwhile, they've already raised children to a ripe age and look at their bona fides and look at their resume and look at, you know, they've lived a long time, young whippersnapper. They've seen a thing or two. Why don't, when you're older, you'll understand. Well, wait a second. Is that a appropriate argument? Is that an appropriate way of relating? If it wouldn't be appropriate for you to be advocating heresy on those grounds, or ungodliness on those grounds, or folly on those grounds, well then, you have a responsibility to bring a better argument, a better reason for what it is that you're advocating, for how you're relating. You have to bring sound reasons from God's word, more to the point. You have to bring the truth to bear. You have to make a compelling argument. But if the best you've got is you're older, I'm big, you're little, I'm smart, you're dumb, then you might just be undergoing some really strong temptation here to be abusive and to be a jerk with respect. You know, if you look back at the book of Job, I've talked recently about the book of Job at youth group. I had the privilege and the honor of giving an apologetic presentation uh, Wednesday before this recent one. So last Wednesday, I gave this apologetic on why a good God would allow for evil and suffering in the world. And if you want to listen to that podcast where I talk through the manuscript I had typed up for the occasion, that was September 20th, episode 149. But one thing I didn't mention that I would have loved to do if I'd had more time than 15 minutes in theory, 18 minutes actually, I'm told. Um, One thing I would have loved to go into more is the way that this young man, Elihu, engages after Job and his three friends have gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for dozens of chapters. Elihu, at the very tail end, steps to the plate and he says that he is like a wineskin ready to burst. He's going to have to give vent because he's been listening and he thought, you know what? These guys are older than I am. I'm paraphrasing here, but these guys are older than I am. I thought for sure you guys would have wisdom and I'm not hearing it. (laughs) 
I'm not hearing wisdom. I'm hearing a lot of foolishness. And so someone needs to testify to the truth about God, God's character, and the way that reality actually is, instead of all these presumptions and all of this trying to justify ourselves or trying to condemn our brother on faulty grounds. And so he does. Elihu steps to the plate and he lays this out. And he does so respectfully, but he also does so very, very directly. And what's so fascinating to me, and this is why my second born son is named Elihu, because when Lauren and I were young, we we're in our early 20s, we got a lot of flack. I, especially in particular, because I put myself out there more, I got a lot of flack from people because I was young. I was being despised for my youth, period. Flat out, I was being despised. I was being dismissed, marginalized, poo-pooed, patted on the head, condescended to. And so I seized on this character of Elihu, and I thought, you know what? This guy, right? This guy, the Lord God Almighty, comes into the scenario of Job after Elihu has said his piece. And for one thing, he confronts gently, lovingly, mercifully, directly, nonetheless, God confronts Job, who is this, who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? God corrects and really scolds, actually, honestly, more to the point. He shames Job's three friends who have been putting him through the ringer, adding to his misery and woe, and says that Job is going to pray for you. And I will listen to his prayer when he prays for your forgiveness. I will listen to his prayer, which is, it's like, okay, like way to put them in their place. That's how it is, guys. Actually, Job, have you considered my servant, Job? <laughs> but Elihu, you know, the, the only thing you could say potentially as far as him being out of line or what have you is that God just, you know, doesn't even dignify all of his talking with a response. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that makes sense. He's not dismissed. He's not scolded. He's not reprimanded by God. Job doesn't argue with him. He's a young guy who is looking at this and he doesn't have a dog in the fight except that he wants to see God testified to honestly. So that's why we name our son Elihu. And we call him Eli for short, but Eli is short for Elihu. Elihu James Mullet. Also because James is my favorite book of the New Testament. But Elihu and Timothy, I think, could have compared stories. They could have sat down for coffee and chatted about being frustrated at being written off for having to try and hold their tongue and looking at these situations and looking at the way sometimes older men carry on egotistically, right? Bragging about how many years they've been doing what they're doing or saying what they're saying and 
puffing their chest out even literally, strutting around like peacocks. And when a young man contradicts an older man, even when he's completely in the right, totally justified, it's necessary, not in a contentious way because we're warned elsewhere, to speak to older men as fathers. Older men are supposed to speak to younger men as brothers in the church. Younger men are supposed to speak to older men as fathers. Even when you do that, sometimes you have to contradict something an older man says because he's not correct, right? Just because he's older doesn't mean that he's perfect yet. And if an older man is saying something that's patently false, it's ungodly, it's a bad example, it's foolish in the church, well then out of reverence for Christ, not out of undue reverence for that older gentleman, we need to have a healthy attitude towards navigating those discussions, those conflicts. They do arise. I can tell you from experience, personal experience, they do arise. So then, also, it would seem, the Apostle Paul recognizes this. The presumption in let no one despise you for your youth is that people will try. People will try to despise you for your youth. And they won't even think anything of it. They won't. A lot of times, if they're foolish enough to puff their chest out because they're older and they've been around a while and just leave it to me, good thing I came to save you. I'm here, I'm here. Let the bells ring out and the banners fly. Feast your eyes on me. If they are conceited and self-impressed enough to parade around, to rest on the laurels of their greater age, well then they're also probably blinded to the inappropriateness of talking down to somebody because that person is younger. They might not even realize that they're doing it. It might not even be a conscious thing. But what does Paul say? He says, let no one despise you for your youth. And part of the reason for this, honestly, is because Timothy is doing what he was told to do. Timothy has a job to do. Paul told Timothy to be doing these things. He was commissioned to do a job. And by Christian tradition, Timothy is the first bishop or overseer of overseers in Ephesus. In the second epistle from Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, so again, you have this idea of Timothy not just being entrusted to teach, not just be entrusted in a, in a vague general sense. He's being entrusted with the task of entrusting to faithful men what Paul has been teaching. So Timothy is supposed to be teaching other men to teach these things. And not just any men, faithful men. And not just faithful men, the very fact that Paul lays out qualifications for overseers and deacons to Timothy is another way of saying Timothy is supposed to be the judge of character. Think about that. Think about how these two things go together. On the one hand, in 1 Timothy 4, 12, let no one despise you for your youth. 
which is another way of saying they are. Some people are trying to despise you for your youth and will and don't let them. At the same time that Timothy is supposed to be a judge of good character where potential overseers and deacons in the church are concerned. And just just think about that for a second. Young man and the blogosphere online filled with all manner of characters includes at least one curmudgeon, and I'm sure many more, who don't like the idea that Timothy was any younger than strictly necessary. Because, and here's the kicker, because they've had young men in their churches and they've shot them down cold in an egotistical way and they don't like those young men being able to say, well, what about 1 Timothy 4, verse 12? Well, whippersnapper, let me set the record straight there. Timothy wasn't actually young. He wasn't actually a youth. No, 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 no. Well, Sorry, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So when it says youth, it means youth. You can't negotiate that, whittle it down to suit your bias, to suit your desire to justify yourself. If a young man challenges you on something you said, something you did that was not correct, and the best you can do is to say, you're young and I'm older, so be quiet and sit down come back to me in 20 years, but then I'll still be older. So how does that work again? Oh yeah. It's basically a way of removing yourself from any potential accountability, which is not healthy, which is not godly actually. So when Paul says, set the believers an example in speech, again, we need to look at the implications of this. This is a way of saying that the believers, the believers presumably some of those folks who despise Timothy for his youth, the believers need a good example. And maybe they're not getting that good example from the folks who are trying to write Timothy off, talk down to him, pat him on the head, ruffle his hair, pinch his cheek as a way of promoting themselves, as a way of sidelining him. They're not providing a good example. They're not presenting speech, conduct, love, faith, purity to the congregation, which should be emulated. And so part of how Timothy is going to protect himself as he tries to undertake what it is that he's been told by Paul to do, commanded by Christ ultimately to do, part of how Timothy is going to protect himself is by setting this example, being blameless, being above reproof, as the phrase goes, when we look at the qualifications for overseers and deacons, be above reproach in other translations, blameless in other translations. That isn't to say people won't try to reprove you for things they ought not to or rebuke you or correct you or what have you, blame you for things. But it is to say that if you are being blameless, and you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's and you're being very, very diligent, watching what you say, watching what you do, making sure that you're loving those around you, make sure that you're trusting God, making sure you're behaving yourself in a pure way, conducting yourself in a pure way, speaking in a pure way, in a wholesome way. 
You protect yourself that way because they got nothing. They got nothing. Coincidentally too, you will save not only yourself, you'll save your hearers. So your, your hearers, Timothy, include people who despise you for your youth. You're young enough compared to them that they despise you for your youth. So we can't whittle this down. We can't negotiate Timothy's youth away because it's inconvenient to our agenda. Timothy is young and also commissioned. He's got a job to do. He is competent to do it. Don't let his age fool you. Some of these folks who need saving are the folks who despise Timothy for his youth. And they need to listen to what it is that he's saying from the Lord. Some of the folks who are going to be saved by Timothy's example, by his devoting himself to reading the scriptures publicly, to exhortation, to teaching, to his immersing himself in these things. Some of the folks that are going to be saved by Timothy conducting himself this way are the folks who are just in the middle, right? They just, I, they're just tired of the drama. They're just tired of the conflict. Can we all just get along, please? This is not what we came for. We did not come to listen to Timothy and these older men argue back and forth over whether he has any right to hold forth about the truth and about God's word. They're trying to be the most important person in the room. They're trying to sound the wisest and the smartest and have power and control because they're insecure, because they need that now in their older age in order to feel validated, in order to feel young again, maybe, coincidentally. There's a lot of folks in these kinds of scenarios, in my experience, who are just in the middle and they just want us to get on with it. Can we please just get on with why we came here? This drama is not why we came here. And if this is all there's going to be, if it's all, if it's all just going to be drama, then it might just pass. Might just go somewhere else and not do this anymore. And yet for that, the antidote from Paul is not given to these guys, let them walk all over you, let them talk down to you, let them act like so many scribes and Pharisees with Jesus, asking and trapping questions mocking, scoffing, putting down whatever it is that conflicts with their agenda, their efforts at self-aggrandizing. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The importance of a good reputation and a good name are not to be understated. I want you to think about Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Now, I'm going to give you a hypothetical, and this is a real-world example, and I won't tell you whose example this is, but I will say it's someone I know. A young man is being managed by an older man. The older man has a lot more experience, a lot of years under his belt, and he lets everybody know it as often as possible. Whenever there's a disagreement about how things should be handled, 
He lays that trump card down on the table, and everybody step back. Conversation's over. We're going to just do it the way he wants to do it now. And the younger man, frequently, says, well, wait, what about this, this, and this? And at a certain point, with enough of this going on, the older man feels threatened and looks for little ways to take the wind out of the sails of the younger man. Now, if the younger man does not have a good name, does not have a good reputation, that's what a good name is, by the way. If the young man does not have a good reputation, he doesn't have a reputation for hard work, for honesty, for integrity, for attention to detail, for consideration, for being polite and respectful to everybody. If the young man in this scenario does not have a reputation for those things, the work of the older man to undercut that younger man has been done for him, period. End of discussion, because then it's just pick one, right? It's just pick a trait, pick a, a, a negative character quality in this young man and argumentum ad hominem, run with it. It's a low blow, it's a cheap shot, but also entirely common. And yet, when you're in a scenario like that, an older man trying to cut you down to size, trying to make you manageable according to his expectations and according to what he can handle anymore, because he's not as young as he once was and he doesn't have the energy that he once did, what he lacks in energy and strength, he makes up for in cunning and experience. If you're in a situation with an older man like that, money, a bribe, might save you, but it probably won't because it isn't about that. It's not about money. When an older man decides he's got you in his sights, you're a threat. He wants to feel young again and just prove to everybody that he can take you down a notch. When that happens, it isn't about money. It's entirely about the primal energies in man, the primal drivers, ego, pride, vanity, and honestly, insecurity. Hey, you know what? I don't have the spring in my step that I used to. I don't pick things up and remember them like I used to. I am not quite as sharp as I used to be, but if I test myself against this young man and I win, well, then I come out on the other side feeling young again. In that kind of a scenario, no amount of money is going to save you. You buying really great, cool things, it's not going to impress that guy and it's not going to get him off your scent. In fact, he'll start poking at that and he'll say, oh, you know what? Back in my day... I, we didn't need all this fancy stuff, right? This is good enough for me. I've been using this thing for 400 years, and this is what it is. Watch, let me show you something. Well, okay. If money, if silver and gold and great riches are not going to protect you in a situation like that, and there's lots of other situations, but I just I use this one for example because we're talking about Timothy people looking down on others for their youth. If money and wealth aren't going to protect you from somebody who's trying to cut you down to size on those terms, what will? 
Well, exactly what Paul told Timothy. Set the example. You set the example. That's talking about leadership. Take the initiative. You set the terms. You control the narrative by controlling yourself. You can't control the narrative if you can't control yourself. Set the example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's holistic. And do you know what you get on the other side of that? You get a good name. You get a good reputation. And that will protect you like nothing else can. That will protect you. And it's biblical. It's, that's what God's word gives to us as an admonition. That's why overseers and deacons are supposed to be above reproof, above reproach. Not that you can never challenge them on something because you always have to keep that possibility in mind. They might be as sinful, fallen creatures, occasionally in error, and they might need tested in their humility through disagreement. And they might not always pass the test, and they might need tested further by being reminded of the first things and who they serve. But that's all I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.